Today marks six months until the opening ceremony of the Olympics this year that will be in Tokyo. Yeah, the host city and Olympic athletes. Final preparations are well underway for the Tokyo Olympics, now just six months away. But the planning for the Games, scheduled to start July 24th, has not been without some controversy. First over the design of the National Stadium. Reports say it could cost more than, get this, two billion dollars. That would make it the most expensive stadium ever built. Seth Doan went to the planned site. Delays in venue construction due to pollution at construction sites. And concerns over the health of tens of thousands of athletes and some nine million spectators expected in Tokyo due to the summer heat and humidity, along with residual pollution at several of the Olympics venues. Already, officials announced in October of last year that the marathon and walking events for the Tokyo Olympics would be held not in Tokyo, but in the northern city of Sapporo to escape the heat. And the Paralympic swim test the next month was cancelled over high levels of E. coli in the water of Tokyo Bay, where many events are scheduled to take place. This raises questions about the environmental impacts and concerns surrounding the Olympic Games, some of which arise from the very location of the venues themselves on landfills around Tokyo Bay. Where are these venues and how were they constructed? How has the build-up to Olympic Games in Tokyo, both in 1964 and 2020, reshaped Tokyo Bay? And what steps are the organizers of the Olympics taking to mitigate the environmental challenges of the Games? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on the environmental impacts of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, I talked with Dr. Robin Kitlinski, Associate Professor of History at LaGuardia Community College of the City University of New York. Dr. Kitlinski is the author of Japanese Women and Sport, Beyond Baseball and Sumo, published by Bloomsbury in 2011. I began by asking Dr. Kitlinski to tell us more about these landfills, where many athletes and spectators would soon be visiting. I think, first of all, that a lot of people will have no idea that they're on landfill, because it certainly just feels like any regular land. But if you were to take an aerial view of the sort of venue plan, and you can see it online on the Tokyo 2020 website, the organizing committee has created two zones for Olympic venues, although there's also a couple venues outside of Tokyo, or several venues actually, like in Sapporo and other parts of the country. There's some soccer and baseball stadiums, and the number is growing. But the majority are located around Tokyo Bay, and then in Tokyo, what they call the Heritage Zone, where they're reusing some venues. And then there's this Tokyo Bay Zone, which is on landfill in Tokyo Bay. So the current venue plan is taking place under the moniker, quote, infinite excitement, because if, again, if you look from above, it looks kind of like the infinity symbol. And at the intersection of those two circles is the Olympic Village, which is on Harumi Pier, which is also reclaimed land. In Japanese, the word is umetatechi, which can be translated as either landfill or reclaimed land. I think the connotation of those two words is somewhat different with landfill sounding more like trash, which is actually what it is. <laughs> and reclaimed land is a bit more neutral, maybe. But most of the brand new venues are being built in Tokyo Bay. And the organizers of the game and the Tokyo Metropolitan Government have said that it symbolizes, quote, the exciting future of the city. 
And so, you know, this kind of piqued my interest when I entered this research project, just because many people, when they think about the futures of cities, are thinking about things like climate change and rising waters. Certainly an issue in Japan is seismic activity and earthquakes. And so the notion that you would move the city into the water on reclaimed land, which is known to liquefy <laughs> in earthquakes, seemed to me an interesting choice. And yet here they are building new venues. For example, the Athletes Village is going to be converted into condominiums after the Olympics take place. And so that means about 12,000 people are going to be moving into that complex. And then you need accompanying infrastructure, schools, grocery stores, everything for all those new people, transportation. So, you know, I find it kind of interesting and curious and wanted to learn more, which is why I started this project. Certainly, as you said, people walking around at these venues might be surprised to learn that they're walking around on trash. Could you talk a little bit about how this process works, where the trash, is it literally just poured into the water and then over time it gets built up into land? And, and then also put this into kind of a historical context, because this isn't the first time Tokyo Bay has been filled in. Yes. And it's a simple question, but the complicated answer. It actually is largely trash thrown into the bay for quite some time. But the history goes back to really before the beginning of the Tokugawa era, when the capital was established in Edo in the early 17th century. There was a lot of dredging of canals. Then when those canals were dredged, they would put the soil and land just into the bay as a place to put it. And so it kind of was getting built out that way. And then some more intentional islands were built. For example, the Daiba or forts were built off the coast of Tokyo in the 1850s as a response to American gunboat diplomacy. So they built these small islands as kind of defensive forts. Actually, at the Olympics next summer, you'll see them if the marathon swim and triathlon go off as planned, although there's some question as to whether or not the water quality will be okay. But if they take place in Odaiba Marine Park, where they're supposed to take place, then you'll see some of the earliest examples of land reclamation in the background. And then in the 1920s to 40s, there were a number of major disasters, including the 1923 Great Kanto earthquake, where much of Tokyo was flattened, and then that was pushed into the bay. And of course, the firebombing and near leveling of Tokyo in World War II, debris was also pushed into the bay, not only to create islands and to kind of clear the city of debris, but also to create piers for stuff to be taken out and into the city for reconstruction. And then after the war, in the 1960s and 70s, there were a number of new islands built out. And many of these were housing facilities that were necessary to provide energy to a city, a huge city. So for example, Toyosu was used as a gas plant and various other energy facilities, as well as processing trash. Yume no Shima, which is kind of ironically named the Island of Dreams, was a huge landfill with rats and flies and mosquitoes. But at the same time, in the 1960s and 70s, there were a bunch of both domestic and international environmental crises, which raised awareness of needing to deal with industrial waste and human waste more effectively and safely. And then, of course, when Tokyo hosted the Olympics in 1964, that also prompted a lot of cleanup efforts. And then from the 1980s to the present, as I mentioned before, there was this concentrated effort by the Tokyo Metropolitan Government to use the waterfront 
subcenter, which they call the Tokyo Rinkai Fukutoshin, as sort of a place to further develop Tokyo and to create a place for people to live, work, and play. As you mentioned with the 1964 Olympics, you know, this isn't the first time that Tokyo has hosted the Olympics. And famously, leading up to the 1964 Olympics, as you mentioned, there was these large infrastructural improvement projects like the bullet train, the monorails, the freeways, Haneda Airport, even Tokyo Tower. And you said that there was some efforts to clean up the bay leading up to those Olympics. Were there also Olympic venues on the bay or, or what impact did the 1964 Olympics have on Tokyo Bay? Yeah, it's an interesting question. The short answer is yes. The buildup to the 1964 Olympics and after the Olympics certainly impacted Tokyo Bay. Some people would say in a positive way because new sewage systems were built, etc., in order to present Tokyo as a modern and clean city to all the people who would be watching the Olympics and seeing Japan on their televisions in their living room. That said, some people have said, and a few years ago, I think on the 50th anniversary of 1964, Robert Whiting wrote this five-part series in the Japan Times about, you know, he was there in Tokyo in 1964. And one of the pieces was very critical of the environmental problems that developed from the 1964 Olympics. So in other words, I think it's disingenuous to paint the 1964 Olympics as this kind of environmental victory or a time when Tokyo Bay was, was cleaned up. Tokyo's rivers and canals, many of which feed directly into Tokyo Bay, they suffered from being filled in or concretized and then being covered by expressways. And to this day, if you've been to Tokyo, you've seen that a lot of the waterways in the city are covered by highways. And, and in fact, now there's like highways on top of highways <laughs> over waterways in Tokyo. And so that certainly has not had a positive impact on the marine environment of Tokyo. There used to be a lot of you know, marine industries in and around Tokyo, in Tokyo Bay. So people who used to thrive off of the high quality fish and seaweed in particular around Tokyo Bay, they lost their livelihood through the 60s and 70s. Basically, by the 1970s, Tokyo Bay was incompatible with any marine life. And actually, in Ota Ward, there's an interesting Nori Museum, and that museum documents the decline of a once thriving seaweed industry in Tokyo Bay. But that museum also, like a lot of literature about the Olympics, it, it sort of paints this picture of Tokyo Bay currently experiencing a rebirth, a turnaround, with the water quality improving. But I do think that it really remains to be seen. The levels of bacteria like E. coli are still really dangerously close to being unsafe for athletes to swim in it. And officials are keeping a close eye on the situation for next summer. And when they did some test events last summer for open water swim and triathlon, the athletes said that the water smelled like toilets or like sewage. And then there's concern that next summer, with the influx of visitors expected for the Olympics, that the sewage system is going to be overtaxed and that, you know, one big rainstorm could cause a really dangerous overflow situation into Tokyo Bay, which would seriously disrupt the events being planned there. So there's not a simple answer as to, you know, whether the prior Olympics had a, a good or bad impact on Tokyo Bay, I would say. Like many things, it's it's a complicated yes and no. 
that image of the freeway going over Nihonbashi is one that always brings to mind mm-hmm. for me some of the environmental impacts of the 1964 Olympics for sure. But as you said, there's also other kinds of environmental damage in Tokyo Bay and even some of these locations for the 2020 Olympics like Toyosu used to be a gas plant, as you said, and concerns about the water quality. Throwing garbage into the bay must have some negative environmental aspects, right? And with all of these people coming, what steps is the Tokyo government taking to mitigate some of these negative environmental consequences? Yeah, so that's a great question. And again, unfortunately, does not have a simple answer. One of the other things that I'm looking at in my current research project is the rhetoric and the reality. And there is a lot of rhetoric surrounding sustainability, mitigation of negative environmental consequences, et cetera. And I have spent a lot of my sabbatical reading through some of this literature. They have very detailed plans about sustainability and ways that they're trying to mitigate issues. And, and, you know, I try to be even-handed in my understanding of this. I think that, of course, it's better to have some plan than to have no plan. And so the Tokyo Organizing Committee has a pretty complex sustainability concept laid out. They say that they're working towards zero carbon by offsetting carbon emissions. They are trying to aim for zero waste, which I just, you know, have a hard time getting my head around, focusing on how the venues that they're building will create more nature within the city, right? Focusing on the natural environment, biodiversity. They're talking about, you know, a a lot of other campaigns to reduce, reuse and recycle. That said, one only has to look at the legacy of recent Olympic Games in places like Pyeongchang, Rio de Janeiro, Sochi, Beijing to see that promises that are made by the IOC or by local organizing committees are often not followed through on. After the cameras have turned away from that city, there are no sanctions, there's little accountability. So if they don't meet those goals, nothing happens. Uh, They are where the IOC is working on developing new environmental reporting after the event happens to try to have a more positive impact. In part, I think they recognize that cities are becoming less and less interested in hosting. And so they they want to kind of show that it can have a positive, not a negative impact on, on a city. To try to end on a sort of high note, I do think that there is some positive potential. For example, things like lifestyle changes that they're going to emphasize, perhaps reusable water bottles, stuff like this. So in other words, I think that there's this kind of mimetic potential or possibility for other countries to see what Japan is doing and, and copy it if there's enough emphasis on sustainability and the environment. There are efforts being made. We're not going to know right after the Olympics whether or not they've been successful. I think it could take years or decades for us to truly understand kind of what the environmental impact of this event was. But certainly the Tokyo Metropolitan Government is making a lot of rhetorical efforts to show that they're trying to proceed with as much environmental caution as possible. I'm Tristan Gruno. And this has been Japan on the Record, the podcast where scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Hosted and produced by Tristan Gruno of the Council on East Asian Studies at Yale University. Thank you for listening.